Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. Uh, when we left off last time, we were talking about the Stono Rebellion, runaway slaves, and all of that uh, stuff that led to the initiation of hostilities between Spain and Britain, runaway slaves, and obviously the uh, the founding of a free African-American town in Florida, which wasn't very far from Georgia and South Carolina, English colonies, so British colonies by this point. So Fort Mose and Spain's willingness to harbor runaway slaves, not only harbor them, but allow them uh, to convert to, uh, to Catholicism and then uh, uh, become ordinary, normal citizens, tasked with the same sort of tasks that the Spanish colonists themselves were, uh, was a, a great threat to the psyche of the British to the north, of the British colonists, who, of course, uh, as we know, in later years would uh, would be very, very aggressive in defending slavery and racial institutions from any outsiders, including from Great Britain, right, who, who, who themselves evolved on the issue of slavery. Uh, now, in, at this point in the 1740s, Great Britain dominates the slave trade. They are the uh, they are the great perpetrators of uh, of slavery. They are the great beneficiaries of slavery. They are profiting off of the triangular slave trade. Now, there is domestic opposition that begins to spring up. There is the Enlightenment going on in Europe, and that Enlightenment does spread to Great Britain. And there are thinkers and writers and politicians in Great Britain who begin to oppose the idea of human slavery, oppose the slave trade, oppose uh, the, the, the very racist construct around North American slavery and slavery in the Caribbean. And so that becomes a theme and an issue in internal British politics going forward, which is part of the reason why uh, I think that there was uh, uh, some... Uh, some, some real uh, differences of opinion within the United Kingdom and eventually a difference of opinion between the United Kingdom and the independent United States of America. Although, ironically enough, uh, the United Kingdom, despite outlawing slavery on their own and, and, and being really kind of the, the, the place where uh, people like Frederick Douglass could go to speak and, 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 uh, and, and would get financial support and, and of course, Canada as well. Canada was part of the British Empire. They had outlawed slavery and they were very anti-slavery and the Underground Railroad made its way to Canada. In spite of that, Britain continued to to benefit from slave labor all the way until the end of the American Civil War. There is actually an argument to be made now, in hindsight, economically, that despite uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson's hatred of the British and Thomas Jefferson's uh, Francophile disposition, that Hamilton being into modernizing the U.S., uh, uh, industrial, industrializing the U.S. To, in, into the kind of monetary policy he was, economic nationalism, if you want to call it that, or, or, or not even economic nationalism. I would say he was effectively kind of a free trader, but understood that there were certain things uh, in the international trade that were beneficial to the United States. 
and that included trade with Britain. I, I would argue that Jefferson and slavery and this really uh, real dependence on slave labor and certain crops like cotton effectively made the American South an economic colony of the United Kingdom and, and to a lesser extent France after independence, long term, from, from, from about 1810, 1820 onward, the, the American South was effectively a colony once again of European powers because they were so dependent on, on slave labor and the slave trade and selling uh, goods produced because of the slave trade to Europe. So Jefferson may have hated the British, and he and his followers may have thought Hamilton was effectively a British agent. But in reality, Hamilton did more, in my opinion, to establish an independent U.S. economy that was vibrant than uh, Jefferson, whose uh, advocacy of slavery uh, and, and keeping uh, people of African descent in bondage actually uh, made his beloved South an economic colony of Great Britain once again, even after being achieving political independence. Anyway, anyway, that's a topic probably for a completely different podcast, maybe not even one on Florida. So let's get back to the War of Jenkins here. On October 23rd, 1739, just as uh, South Carolina is undergoing a number of slave rebellions, which are inspired by the situation in Florida, as we've talked about, the freedom on offering in Florida, Britain formally declared war on Spain. Naval operations had begun the previous day, October 22nd, by the Royal Navy against the northern ports of South America. And these would be the ports in what is now Guiana and Colombia. Meanwhile, Governor Oglethorpe of Georgia was raising an army to invade Florida. The force included English colonists from the Carolinas and Georgia, as well as their Native American allies, the Creeks. By December, Oglethorpe was effectively raiding Spanish forts along the northern coast of Florida. Uh, this, in, this is effectively uh, between north of St. Augustine and San Augustine, uh, as it was known at the time, uh, northward toward the St. John's River, towards the mouth of the St. John's River. Unbeknownst to the British, the Spanish had taken the founding of Georgia as an impetus to reinforce and strengthen the Castillo de San Marcos that uh, we obviously have done a whole podcast on the building of, of the Castillo. In January 1740, a tall watchtower and a new parapet was uh, added to the fort. Very, very significant when you're talking about a coming siege from the British. In May 1740, Oglethorpe's force decided to take aim directly at St. Augustine, four forts, including Fort Mose, four forts outside St. Augustine, fell to the British. On June 13th, the British began a siege at St. Augustine and the Royal Navy blockaded the town. Seven British warships sat outside the inlet. Just outside the inlet, in fact, they were just kind of lining up um, on the Atlantic Ocean side, but there's the inlet where it comes into the Matanzas River, and um, the, the the ships were queued up there. Governor Manuel de Montiano, who we've talked about in the previous episode, had only about 900 professional soldiers at his disposal for the town, town's defense. I mean, that's a very small force. The governor petitioned uh, Havana in, in, in Cuba. Uh, which had much stronger defenses and much more men, uh, 
for reinforcements and prepared for a long siege of, of, of St. Augustine with rather minimal provisions. So at this point, St. Augustine's surrounded, right? They've got the inlet. They've got ships outside the inlet. Uh, the British had occupied Fort Mose, which is two miles north of the city walls in St. Augustine, or actually more or less like a mile and three quarters maybe north of the Castillo. But, so they have that position. Uh, they have um, 200 troops there under Colonel William Parker. And... They had blockaded the inlet, so there's no way for for Spanish provisions, reinforcements to come in and out. And the British land forces had been south of the town since mid-May. They occupied Anastasia Island, which, uh, as uh, most of you probably know, is right across the inlet, uh, is right across the Matanzas River to the south of the inlet. And... Uh, uh, all of the areas that currently make up uh, St. Augustine Beach. So at this point, Governor Montiano realizes the Spanish have to relieve some of the pressure around St. Augustine. So what they did is they attacked Fort Mose and inflicted heavy, heavy British casualties. The town's inhabitants had already retreated to St. Augustine when, of course, and again, I think this this man deserves his own podcast, and so we're going to do it at some point. Um, Fernando Menendez had um, had led uh, and Sal, uh, Governor Salgado, who had been the, the kind of the governor of the town of Fort Jose, gathered Spain, Spain's Seminole um, Native American allies, and uh, they had their contingent of free African-Americans. So they launched a surprise attack on Fort Mose with upwards of about 300 free blacks uh, and Seminoles combined. The result was uh, their force um, flying the flag of Spain ended up killing up to 75 British soldiers. 35 others were captured while Spanish losses were relatively small. Um, Less than 10 uh, deaths among uh, the free blacks and Seminoles that were fighting for the Spanish. Colonel Palmer, Colonel William Palmer, was among the British dead. So, um, and remember, there's there's a great deal of passion for this fight. Spain has given these African Americans freedom. They've converted to Catholicism, and they uh, they have been given their freedom. And and as I think uh, we see throughout history, you have. Uh, situations where there are a great, um, great passion on the f- part of those who have been liberated to not be enslaved again. Great passion on the part of someone like Francisco Menendez, who uh, had suffered so deeply at the hands of the British, and actually later in his life. Again, this is why we probably have to do a, a, a podcast on him. What what an important individual in the history of of, of Florida. Uh, Francisco Menendez would be captured again by the by the British in the future, and uh, after that would escape back to um, back to Spanish Florida. Uh, Antonio Salgado, of course, we mentioned also um, leading this force. Following this surprise attack, the Spanish forces and its native allies fell back into the city walls, and the defenses of the capital, which was San Agustin, began. Eventually, all the residents and those who had fled to the town were moved into the Castillo. Those who did not didn't move into the fort fled into the woods and to the and into the swamps nearby. San Agustin and the surrounding area, home to nominally 
normally, excuse me, about 2,000 to 2,200 residents was completely empty. So everybody is in the Castillo. Most everybody's in the Castillo. Those who are not have fled into the woods and the swamps nearby uh, to, to fight against the British. On July 6th, the defense looked like it was cracking. Provisions had not arrived to reinforce the town. The British were bombarding the fort, and they also had the inlet blocked. They killed two Spanish defenders. But the Castillo held Coquina Rock, uh, and the long guns from the fort were proving a menace for the, for the British attackers. Finally, on July 7th, Spanish ships from um, Havana arrived, and incredibly blocked the British blockade of the inlet. Get into the inlet, restock the town, and now the town had provisions for the foreseeable future. In fact, um, the, the town had provisions for several months more of a siege. And with the population of the town largely behind the walls of the Castillo, and more defenders who, who could take on the role of snipers and, 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 and uh, guerrilla fighters, if you will, that's a modern term, but guerrilla fighters in that era, uh, sitting in the swamps and the woods outside St. Augustine. Um, Oglethorpe has really little choice but uh, to attack now. At this moment, because hurricane season is upon us, there's all sorts of unpredictability. The British supply lines now have been uh, strained. So what we thought was a siege where there would be attrition in St. Augustine, in St. Augustine, ends up being the British are now stretched too thin. Their supply lines from Savannah and some of these other forts that they've captured has become thin. Um, And British morale was low. So Oglethorpe wants to attack. But the morale is so low, the, the strategic logistics aren't there. So unbelievably, he retreats. Siege is lifted, effectively voluntarily by the British after this uh, restocking of St. Augustine. So once again, St. Augustine had survived an attempt to take the city by Britain. But the war wasn't done yet for Florida because in, in 1742, Montiano, now feeling strong, now realizing the city was impregnable, decides he's going to attack Georgia. So Montiano leads over 2,000 soldiers. We've seen some sources put it as high as 2,500 soldiers in an invasion of Georgia. His forces were defeated at St. Uh, Simon's Island, which is uh, obviously south of, of Savannah. Uh, short of reaching Savannah, which was the goal, reaching Savannah, sacking Savannah, taking Savannah. Then there was another lost battle um, in, in that neighborhood, Cumberland Island. So having lost two battles, the Spanish forces, having also um, seen about 250 soldiers die um, and many more captured, withdrew back to St. Augustine. And the status quo before the war was restored. The St. Mary's River was effectively the border between Spain, Spanish Florida, and British Georgia. Oglethorpe actually thought maybe he would invade Florida again uh, after the uh, the victories against the Spanish uh, in, in at St. Simons and Cumberland Island, but he opted not to. So Florida's safe at this point, but any pretense uh, that 
Spain could claim what had become the, the areas that had become the British colony of Georgia were shattered. And um, in 1750, Spain signs the Treaty of Madrid, which affixes that recognizes Georgia as a British colony and affixes the St. Mary's board, uh, River as the border between Florida and Georgia, which is um, what remains today. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Florida History Podcast. And in that, uh, we'll pick up our narrative in 1754 when Britain is once again at war in North America and take us through a period where Britain finally gets its hands on Florida. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with you next week.